Consider, too, that this nation is your people. And he said, my presence will go with you, and I will give you rest. And he said to him, if your presence will not go with me, do not bring us up from here. For how shall it be known that I have found favor in your sight, I and your people? Is it not in your going with us so that we are distinct, I and your people, from every other people on the face of the earth? And the Lord said to Moses, this very thing that you have spoken, I will do. For you have found favor in my sight, and I know you by name. Moses said, please show me your glory. And he said, I will make all my goodness pass before you, and I will pro proclaim before you my name, the Lord. And I will be gracious to whom I will be gracious, and I will show mercy on whom I will show mercy. But he said, you cannot see my face, for men shall not see me and live. The Lord said, behold, there's a place by me where you shall stand on the rock. And while my, while my glory passes by, I will put you in a cleft of the rock, and I will cover you with my hand until I have passed by. Then I will take away my hand, and you shall see my back, but my face shall not be seen. May God give us understanding in this passage that we read and will be preaching from this morning. If you would, please bow your heads with me in a time of prayer as you remain standing and after prayer, our choir will come with special music and then the preaching of God's word today. Let's bow in prayer. We thank you, Father, for allowing us to be here today. We thank you for your word that we hear. Lord, please give us understanding so that we might know what it is you're saying and how it applies to us. Yeah. Speak to us through your word. May your Holy Spirit open our understanding so that we can hear and understand with the purpose of doing, obeying yes. you, and submitting fully to you. So we thank you now for this, this time and your word. We pray that you'll use it. You'll speak to our hearts in that way. We might use this time and your word for your glory. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Please be seated. So we make it a practice in our sermon series to, to go through a book so that we might gain an understanding and tie things together, not just have a scripture here and a scripture there, but to understand God's word and how it connects. So I ask the question as I look at Exodus 33, what does it mean? What is, what is the message here? First, what, what's the message of this chapter? And what is God telling us today? from this passage. We trust that God communicates through his word and he wants us to understand and he has something for us today uh, from his word. And so we can look at the Old Testament. We can look anywhere in the word of God. If we look at it correctly and understand it, then it has, it has application for us today as well. So what do we look at what, what will we see here? I will 
start off by telling you what I think this is and then hopefully bringing that out so that you can see it. What we're talking about here is sweet communion. What we're talking about here is sweet communion. I'm not talking about Sweet Communion Baptist Church, this church, but I'm talking about that relationship that a human being can have with God and a relationship that that human being can have with other human beings. Let's see how this works out. We talked about the setting. We know Israel had just sinned by this, this blatant practice of idolatry, even while God was, was writing on these tablets of stone and sending them down to Moses. Before Moses could get down from the mountain, there they had sinned in a grievous way. Now, reminded, they didn't have the written commandment, but before they were written, God had spoken these words to them, and they made a covenant to, to say, yes, Lord, we understand what you say, and we will follow you. And it hadn't been a month later, or barely a month, I should say, that they have sinned in a grievous way. God dealt with that sin But not through Moses. We preached that last week. Moses said, well, Lord, hey, the people have sinned, um, but punish me and forgive them. God didn't, he didn't do it that way. He says, the one that sinned, I will punish. We talked about why that was that way, and I'll get to that as we move on, but let's take a look then at what happens in chapter 33. We first get the command in verse 1. The Lord says, go, or depart from here and go up from here. And he, he's telling them it's time to move on. And I'm going to take you to the place, to the land that I promised to you and to your forefathers. So that's the command. It's pretty clear. Don't sit here. Move on, it's time to move. Remember that God was leading them by his presence. He had a pillar of cloud by day and a pillar of fire by night. In other words, there was a visual a presence, a, a visual representation of God's presence with them and actually moving before them to show them exactly where to go and when to go. And so the cloud would rest at a place, and when it's time for them to leave, the cloud would lift up, and it's just like, hey, wake up, get up, we're going. And then it would move exactly where God wanted them to be. So God was directing them. He says, now go, depart. Then he, we see the promise in, in, in verse 2. I will send an angel before you. And then he says, I'm going to drive out all the inhabitants of this land that I'm taking you to. In other words, God is saying, I am going to fulfill my promise. In other words, your promise or God's promise does not depend on our faithfulness. God's going to fulfill his promise. But will we experience it? He's going to do what he said he's going to do. Are we going to benefit from it? He says, I'm going to send my angel with you. I'm going to drive out the Canaanites, the, all, all the inhabitants of the land. But then he he drops the, the mic on them, doesn't he? In verse 3, 
He says, but we got a problem. I will not go up among you. And I'm going to send my representative, but I'm not walking with y'all. Why? He says, because I will consume you on the way. He says, I'm not going to walk with you because y'all start acting up again, and I'm going to wipe you out. That's what he's saying. He said, I will consume. This word of consume is like a fire that just comes and licks up everything in his path. God says, don't play with me. If you want me to be with you, then you got to be careful (laughs) about how you live. He's saying even more than that, though, actually. He says, I can't go up because there's a problem. We're not compatible. And if I'm with you and you're acting the way you're acting, my judgment will just break out on you to where you won't exist anymore. And he says this, you are a stiff-necked people. Now, this isn't the first time he said that. And we know what it means. It means that, that they were very... Hard-headed, stubborn, and rebellious. Well, that describes the human race. Israel is just a picture of that rebelling against God. Have you seen that anywhere else? Well, you see it everywhere else, in fact. You see it everywhere. We see it in our country today. We see it in our culture today. We see it in our neighborhoods. We see it on our jobs. There's no place where you won't see it if your eyes are open. That there is a rebellion against God. If God says stand up, then all of a sudden we feel like sitting down. If God says sit down, sit down, we feel like standing up. If God says be quiet, we feel like making some noise. God says make some noise, now all of a sudden we quiet. There is an there is a inherent, there is a, it's, it lives within us. There's a rebellion against God. And he says, because of that, I can't go with you directly. You can see the impact this has on the people and in verse 4. It says, when the people heard this disastrous word, In other words, it, 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 was, it, was, it was epic. They had reached a virtual impasse. Then right after that, it goes into this section, verse 7 through 11, where it talks about Moses' walk with God. And it's, it, it describes that. And our minds are going, what? what? Wait a minute. God couldn't walk with his people. He couldn't go with them because his very, the holiness of his nature would just destroy them because his holiness can't blend with their wickedness. Then it says here in verses 7 through 11, it describes Moses. And it describes Moses as we see no other human being. It talks about this place called the Tent of Meeting. 
And it says that when they, as a nation, they would, they, were, they would go from place to place. We call it camp. They would settle camp here. And then when God would give the, the, the direction to move somewhere else, they would you know, break camp and, and move wherever direction they had. But it says when, what they would do when they settled camp, there would be a special tent that Moses would have set out outside the camp. And this was a tent where he would come and commune with God. And it says in that tent, he would go and he would talk to God face to face, like a friend. So somehow, God was welcoming Moses to have this special communion, fellowship with him. And this couldn't be gained or this, this could not be enjoyed by the people because of their sin. But I said, now, wait a minute, was Moses perfect? He was not. Was he sinless? He was not. What does God require? We see the, 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 the sin of the people, and, 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 and we see how grievous it is. We, we, we get a sense for that and God's reaction to it. But this is a God who wants to commune and meet with the people. We see that in his communing with Moses. That he wants to talk, he wants to dwell, he wants to live, he wants to be with, around his presence is with Moses. The people witnessed this. They would see Moses go to the tent of meeting and they would stand outside of their tents and it's like it would be a hushed time and a quiet and they themselves would worship during this time. I suppose God wanted them to see something, that God will meet with his people. In other words, God longs to meet and be in fellowship with his people. He's showing this through Moses. But there's a problem. Remember Moses before in, the chapter, in chapter 32, the people had sinned, and, and God is telling Moses in the mountain, before you go down, Moses, I want you to know what's happened. And he tells Moses that the people have sinned. And, and Moses starts to implore God. He starts to beg and plead with God. He says, God, please forgive them. And if not, take me, blot me out of your book. And God says, that ain't going to happen. I'm not blotting you out of the book. I'm going to punish the one who sinned. In other words, he's saying, Moses, you cannot stand before me for the people for forgiveness of sins. You can plead that, but it's not based on your character that I will forgive their sin. In other words, there needs to be a greater intercessor than Moses. And we covered that last week, and we know that that, that Sunday school answer comes out. Who is that? Well, that's Jesus. But you need to know the, 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 the gravity of that. No one, including Moses himself, could represent the people and have their sins forgiven based on their holiness or their character. Moses didn't qualify for that. In fact, while we're at it, let's, let's take a look. You need to keep a marker here. But we want to go, go to uh, um, Hebrews. I want you to go with me to the book of Hebrews. I think it's Hebrews chapter 4. Hebrews chapter 3 is what I want you to look at. 
I'm starting at verse 1. It says, Therefore, holy brothers, you who share in a heavenly calling, consider Jesus, the apostle and high priest of our confession, who was faithful to him who appointed him, just as Moses also was faithful in all God's house. But Jesus has been counted worthy of more glory than Moses, as much more glory as the builder of a house has more honor than the house itself. Every house is built by someone, but the builder of all things is God. Now Moses was faithful in all God's house as a servant to testify to the things that were to be spoken later. But Christ is faithful over God's house as a son, and we are his house. If indeed we hold fast our confidence and our, bless and our boasting in our hope. Therefore, as the Holy Spirit says, today, if you will hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as in the rebellion on the day of testing in the wilderness where our fathers put me to the test and saw my works for 40 years. Therefore, I was provoked with that generation and said, they always go astray in their heart and have not known my ways. As I swore my wrath, they shall not enter my rest. A couple of things I want to point out from here. First of all, we see that the New Testament informs us that Moses was the picture of faithfulness, faithfulness to God, but Jesus was a more complete picture. And he received more glory than Moses. In other words, he, he, he achieved way more than even Moses achieved. Secondly, we notice from this passage that the people of Israel in Moses' day were hard-hearted and rebellious. And it tells us in verse 6, do not harden your hearts as in the rebellion. It calls their time the, the day of rebellion. In the day of testing in the wilderness where your fathers put me to the test and saw my works for 40 years. 40 years he's talking about is the time that they spent in the wilderness when they should have been traveling and getting to the promised land. They wasted away for 40 years in the wilderness because they rebelled. They didn't obey God. I'm gonna, not going to read it, but you can make note of 1 Corinthians chapter uh, 13. It's going to be 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 6 through 13, I think it is. Yes. God refers to them there as an example for us, and they're a bad example. They're a bad example of how God's people are not to be because of their rebellion. Now, let's go back now to Exodus chapter 33. And we see Moses' walk with God, his close walk with God. And he spoke to God, it says, face to face. In verse 11, it says, thus the Lord used to speak to Moses face to face as a man speaks to his friend. And in this face to face meeting, Moses has this deep conversation with God. And that's what I want to go in today. 
We see that in verses 13 through the end of the chapter in Exodus 33. It says, Moses said to the Lord, see, you say to me, bring up this people, but you have not let me know whom you will send with me. Moses says, God, you gave me a job to do, but I'm a little bit handicapped in doing that job. Moses asked for several things. First of all, he seeks God's favor. He seeks God's favor in order to do his will. Secondly, he seeks God's direction. In verse 13, he says, please show me now your ways. Thirdly, he seeks God's presence. He says, if your presence will not go with me, do not bring me up from here. In other words, he's, he's, at a, he's at an impasse with God. He says, God, if you say you're just going to send your angel, but you're not going with us, I can't live like that. I can't go up. If you're not going to go with me every step of the way, then I can't go, he says. So God says we got a problem to the people. And now Moses saying, yeah, Lord, we have a problem. What are we going to do with that? I can't lead a people if I don't have your presence with me. Then God says this. Verse 17, the Lord said to Moses, this very thing that you have spoken, I will do. For you have found favor in my sight, and I know you by name. So God says, you've asked for my favor, I give it to you. You seek my direction, I will show you. You, you need my presence, my presence will go with you. And then notice what Moses does next. Verse 18, Moses says, please show me your glory. Show me your glory. God does not say yes to that. God says, you can't see my glory, Moses. He says, let me just break it down in my own language. He says, Moses... I'm going to let you get close to me. I'm going to hide you in the cleft of a rock, and I'm going to pass by, and I'm going to cover you while I pass by so that after I pass by, then you can see the back of me. What does that mean? He's saying, you can't see me face to face. Why can't we look God in the eye and meet him face to face? Why could not even Moses do this? I said this is about sweet communion. This is about how we have relationship and intimacy with God. The reason why we can't look God in the eye and see him face to face is the same reason why we look at each other in the eye and see each other face to face. Stay with me here. When we look each other in the eye, we acknowledge each other and each we acknowledge each other's presence. We give respect to each other as equals. You ever have somebody talk about you in your presence but not acknowledge you? 
talking to you or talking about you to somebody else but not talking to you. Talking about you like you're not there. How did you feel? Maybe you felt like you were being judged. Maybe you felt like you were being judged by a higher court and you weren't privy to make a statement. Maybe you felt like a subordinate, like a minor, like a child. You do that sometimes with somebody who's being examined. I had the process of being examined in my ordination, and they talked with me, but they talked about me. Sometimes we feel somewhat disrespected or degraded. So we look at each other face to face, eye to eye. In fact, we encourage and challenge and even threaten and dare others to look us in the eye. Because that acknowledges that as equal. Like two boxers before the match. They have that stare down. You ever see that? They stand right in front of each other. They're toe-to-toe and face-to-face. And it's like the first one who blinks is going to lose. It's a little intimidation. But we do that intimidation with our eyes because we are saying, I am at least your equal and probably superior. At least those fighters are saying that. We have that in the, in, in the animal world. There's the animal body language. Dogs do this. Lions do this. Cats do this. There is no contact mean, no eye contact means submission. You know, it's like. It means submission. Direct eye contact means I challenge your authority. You better get back, dude. I'm looking straight at you. It's a face-off, in essence. The reason why we can't look at God eye-to-eye and face-to-face is because we are not on his level. And why are we not on his level? Well, because he's created higher than us. And he is God and we are not. But secondly, and above, even above that, because you could say that same thing about the angels. They are not on his level. But what you can say about us is our sin separates us from a holy God. There's a riddle that says, what do we see every day that God has never seen? What do we see every day as human beings that God has never seen? Well, the answer to that is our equal. God has never seen his equal. But if you know a a little bit of theology, you go, you question that, and you say, well, wait a minute. (laughs) God does see his equal when he looks at his son. He sees his equal. You see, that's just it. No one is on equal terms with God 
unless you are yourself God. It's God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit who work together, see each other on the same level, and that's the only one who can stand before God and plead with God, talk with God, negotiate with God. You need one greater than Moses to do that. You need God himself. But you also need God to represent man and to be a man. So because of holiness and because of greater uh, uh, presence, we cannot look at God, but God gives us a way to have sweet communion with him. And that way is not through Moses. It's through Jesus. It's through Jesus and only through Jesus. Moses is trying to intercede for the people, but he's an insufficient intercessor. He knows that. God has given him the privilege of of meeting with him sort of face-to-face, so to speak. In other words, he has a, a special intimacy and relationship that no other human being seems to have at that time, and yet that is insufficient. God is going to forgive the sins of his people, not on the basis of Moses, but on the basis of the one to come, the one that truly can look at him face to face. In John chapter 1, verse 18, it says, no man has seen God at any time. And it's bringing out that truth. We can't bargain with God and stand and and argue with him. Sometimes as parents, you know, we give our children the impression that they can disrespect us in that way. And yet, in the truth, since we represent God and need to maintain that understanding with them that you face even a higher authority than me, if you disrespect me, you're going to stand before God to whom you will not disrespect and get away with. God is so gracious as to give to us an intercessor, or I say it this way, to make himself an intercessor in the person of his son, Jesus, so that we could have one who could stand for us before God and represent us. Moses couldn't accomplish it, but Jesus does that. He accomplishes that. What are we to say about all of this? Jesus is our remedy and our one and only remedy. What we need, God longs to have fellowship with us, but we can't stand the gaze of his fellowship. We can't take it. But Jesus is our intercessor. He stands before God for us. He is able to look God straight in the eye because he himself is God. And he represents us. He is our remedy. Jesus became a man so that we could look at him and relate to God. Jesus became a man so that he could, as a man, pay for the sins of man and redeem mankind.
But in becoming a man, he never stopped being God and he never sinned. And so he fully qualifies to look to God as an equal because he is that. And he does it for our benefit. So God has this dual thing that he has to do. He has to punish sin, and yet he wants to forgive his people, and he wants to commune with his people. And how does he do that? The Old Testament is straining and calling for Christ. Oh, Jesus, come quickly. We say now, Jesus, please come quickly. The Old Testament pleading for one who could fill the gap because Moses is insufficient. We're going to sing a song that's called Just As I Am. I want you to think about the wording of this song. It's saying you and I don't have the power to change our character and our nature and to make ourselves holy or acceptable to God. But Jesus does that for us. He represents us, and then the Holy Spirit is able then to transform our character to make us more and more and more like Christ. I'm going to ask the ensemble if they will come and our song leader if they will come as they sing or play before us this song that we can meditate on the great intercessor that we have that doesn't require us to get ourselves more holy but to just praise God for the holy intercessor that he's given us in the Lord Jesus Christ. Exodus is looking forward to Jesus and pleading for a savior that can deliver his people from their sin, that can stand before God and represent his people. Let's bow in a word of prayer. Father, we thank you for your truth today. We thank you that you desire to meet with us because of your holiness. It would not be a pleasant meeting for us. But Jesus makes it all right because he can stand and take that gaze and that righteous gaze from you and represent us. And you can accept what Jesus has done for us on the cross and paying for our sin. So we thank you, Lord, for who Jesus is, one greater than Moses. We pray, Lord, that as we apply this in our hearts, in our lives, that we would come trust in this Jesus. That we would praise you for the great work that you've done in your son, Jesus. We praise you not just today, but in all of our living. We worship you and honor you for what you've done in your son, Jesus, for our sake. We pray this now in Jesus' name. Amen. Would you all be so kind to stand with us this morning?